Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Hey, will you shut up? I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Thank you, Lee. Uh... So this is the time of the calendar where people remember that college basketball is a thing. People, not me. I, I will tune in to college basketball on the Thursday afternoon the tournament starts. Um, yeah. But uh, there is something that I do know that Alex wants to talk about regarding college basketball, and, and tis the season. So, Mr. Kirshner, you do have the floor. What did I want to talk about with regards to college I, basketball? I, this... I, uh, I, this NLRB, the labor union stuff. Oh, is that right. That is basketball. It's basketball. It's basketball. It's basketball. Oh, I thought it was this football. Our... Yeah, Richard, I would say I, would, I do want to talk about that. That's an interesting segue. I thought you were talking about on the court. Uh, hello, Stephen, as well. No, I, will, uh, I will never. <laughs> I will never be I, talking uh, about yeah. college basketball, yeah, but, especially men's college basketball on the court. I, I didn't know at all what he was talking about either, Alex, because I, I – um, I just got back from Disney, um, so my entire life is a, just a painful fog. Also, shout out to one of the sources at a Power 5 program that texted me about Boston College this weekend, and I said, I don't know I'm at Disney, and he said, off-season's in July, bro. And I texted back uh, I texted back some string of profanities, and I said, there is no such thing as an off-season. Do so, you uh, stay, grinders grind, baby. Do you stay on site? At Disney, or I do did. You do offset. Okay, first off, don't phrase the question like I'm a Disney adult because I have you have kids, I, and so I'll I know get you've into been the, more than once. Well, so the, listeners of the show know this, and and I'm fine sharing this. One of my my eldest had a, a pretty major medical procedure a couple years ago, and before he had it, there's like Star Wars land at in Orlando at the Disney World Shout out thing, capitalism. and so we were like, well, we're we're gonna give him a win before he has to go through hell. The problem was I kept making children. And now, the, and the youngest one didn't go because she wasn't, she couldn't go. And so her birthday was this weekend. We were like, we're knocking, we're checking this box until adulthood. Like we're done. I also so I have I, gone twice, Richard, I, twice. <laughs> I am not a fucking Disney adult because look, and I'll devote some time to this on the single wing. I have so many thoughts and questions about, like, I really and truly try to operate from like, a, Alex has even mentioned this about me. I'm grumpy, but I operate from like, I try to judge not in terms of like what you do with your life. And I completely understand anyone who lives a very devoutly religious life, a, a devout agnostic life, a devout, any, any sexual orientation, gender, creed, identity whatsoever. But I don't fucking understand the Disney. It's <laughs> Richard. 
<laughs> these are now. Okay, I have some questions for you. Yeah. Do you so so when you're I sorry for hijacking the show, but it's February. Not sorry. It's um, February. A lot of the so like you go to like Frozen Land, which is what we did for my daughter. First, we're going to Frozen Land. And all of the employees. Oh, this is one of the most weirdly segregated places in the world, voluntarily Ooh. so. So you go to. So sorry, you go to Frozen Land, which is supposed to be Norway, right? And and all of the employees are actually Norwegian. They're all college age. I talked to one of them, and of course they speak perfect English and think that we're all you know uh, fat and gross Americans. Well, um, and he was just like, "Yeah, we're here for a year. We get to skip out on winter. It's awesome." Like basically, what it is is like that's why there's a club scene in Orlando. And that's why, like, Orlando is actually, like, low-key just debaucherous is because there's, like, a lot of park employees between ages 18 and 25 who just go out and get trash when they're not working. But then you go to, like, the Japanese part of Epcot, and they're all Japanese, and they're all speaking Japanese. It's really weird. Um, but if you go to the Magic Kingdom, a lot of them are, are university employees. There were, like, a lot of gators. This is where yeah. I was getting with this. There's a lot of gators. There's Growing, a lot of UCF and, folks. And, and, yeah. Yes. Well, of course. Of course. I mean, shout out to my... When shirt? I was in college, because I almost this is what I was asking. Yeah, I so, almost yeah, went to UCF. Shout out to Space Knights. Yeah, uh, there we go. I um, yeah. th there is a, an alternate reality where I attended UCF, and one of the I don't know but, if they still do it, but UCF students could get in for free. So I saw okay college gear that I saw the most of UCF, which like doesn't even count. That's the hometown team. Number two was West Virginia. I wasn't sure what's going on, and then number three was LSU because it's Mardi Gras. Everyone gets out for Mardi Gras in Louisiana, so they just treat they treat it like vacation. Um. Did you know people growing up that like got sucked into the Disney vortex, like oh, employment or idea yeah. ideologically? I, it's because it's, it's so I it will fits say this. all the tenets of a church. I will say this: it, uh, the the Disney. I did not realize the Disney adult thing was a yeah. thing until I got into adulthood and started to, and, and then friends of my age were still in their Disney mode. You know what I'm saying? And then obviously okay. as friends start to get to have kids, that's an obvious Disney thing. But the, the Disney adult thing I did not realize was much of a thing until I myself got into adult. Richard, I'm gonna be but honest. But I went, like I, I went. I went when I was a kid. I, I went a couple well, times when I was a teenager. I went. First off, alarming amount of adults with no children whatsoever, like knocking my kids down to like go talk to Mickey. Not Alex, kidding. have you have you Not been to Disney? Joke. Have you been to Disneyland yet as a as a Southern Californian? I have not, although I have since I moved to Southern California, been to Epcot in Florida for the first time <laughs> since I was a small lad. Uh, I had a um, bachelor party at Epcot last year. Huh. Uh, not not mine, not mine. To be clear, but okay, I, was, I so remember this, I remember uh, being in the Uber <laughs> on the way there, and the guy asked okay, me, okay. "Where are you going?" And I said, "Well, Epcot." Uh, and he's like, "What for?" I was like, "Bachelor party." And then I followed it up with, "But just to be clear, like we're not weird like that. Like you know, we're just going to have a good time." <laughs> but, and then he said to are, me, and then he said to like, me, and then he said to me, "Well, the evidence is kind of making me question that, sir." The, the, correct, the math, correct. the math ain't mathing all the way there. Um. I, I don't I don't want to get into the form thoughts that I have on these observations, such as like the sheer number of adults who I think are forcing children too small to experience Disney World in there for their own personal weird reasons. I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not shitting on it. It like I have small children and it is amazing. And like I, I, I really do marvel at like the logistics and infrastructure of how Disney does all this stuff. Like it's really like you stand back and you're like, wow, that's like really complicated and intricate and like how they do an attraction or all this stuff like. If you're if you're a nerd like systems analysis or like even just someone who like 
you know, I get into like how movies are made and stuff. It's like you, you're like, oh, wow, they, that, that's really impressive. H- however, I'm having a really hard time with the humanity that crawls through that place every day. And um, I'm really trying to operate from as like a very non-pious, non-judgmental place. Like you don't know how many wet. We were there for a long weekend. We were there for three days. No exaggeration. Do you want to take a guess at how many weddings oh. and proposals I saw combined? Oh, proposals! I'm sure now, the limit just, doesn't exist. Just I, I did. We did stay in the park. You're we, talking we about the, the park, active, Richard. the active wedding ceremony in the park. I saw five, five women in wedding dresses. I saw four proposals. Wow! In three days. Now this is like my. Four-year-old wanted to meet Elsa, and my sons were like, "I want to go and like update this at Star Wars, like get my new droid at Star Wars Land." That was sort of our mode of going to this place. Was for like, I don't have a kid with a double-digit age. All right, they're all single digits. So, I I, I don't know. We, I, I feel like we need to get out of the segment before I say something mean to make. Maybe there are Disney adults no, listening to the to show. Get you there, maybe. Do you think they're like I? I know just based on the size of our audience, there has to be a couple Disney adults, and like I get it. Hey, Tron was awesome. It was fun. I found out like that's, you discover things in a marriage. Your Tron your was wife, good. Like I, <laughs> Tron cut, was fun. Man. Um, but like like the new ride. I mean, not the booty. oh oh oh. The, the the new ride you like ride on a it, it was cool and like I, I found this it's you discover things in a marriage. Like I've been married going on fourteen years, and like she's like my wife's like. Loves roller coasters and like we had a blast. And so, like, but at the same time, real fast, I just want to get out of this. There's a bar that's made up to be the cantina from Star Wars, and you they just sit you with random strangers because it's so packed. And they're little horseshoe tables, little like like a booth, right? And stormtroopers come in every hour and they recreate the whole like, hey, we're looking for suspicious people. It's like all interactive experience, mm. right? And so they come in and like you're drinking your Star Wars drink, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And the adults get to put rum in it, but like. It, a 57-year-old woman knocked a full 16-ounce beer on my son because she jumped across the table to take a picture with a stormtrooper. As God is my witness, that is the truth. That's what happened. And then, like, kind of apologized to him. And, my, like, we didn't, like, a full beer down on, on, my, on my nine-year-old son because she wanted to take a picture with a stormtrooper. All I'm hearing, She's, Alex... Not even 60 years old. All I'm hearing well, Alex, out of this is social engagement from Disney. That's adult look, Stephen. I, I agree with you. I think that the Disney adult thing I, is pretty ridiculous. And now to walk into the ocean because Tennessee lost to Alabama on the third Saturday of October. But those Disney adults sure are weird. <laughs> we would never, we would never, ever invest so much in entertainment. In college football, no, never look, ever. I ever. thought, look, Alex, Alex, I thought a lot about that this weekend because I'm like, well, how is it any different to sit there and pick apart, like, I like seeing men older than me picking apart the anachronisms in the Star Wars timeline to employees? I'm, my, my eyes going to start twitching. Like, how could I castigate that when we have people who are like emotionally just dis- hell? How could you have that when you have people? Do you know how much someone just paid Missouri to be good at football? Did you guys see that amount? How is that any? How is that less weird? It's, I fact, would argue that one, fandom. It, what you're really talking about, Stephen, is fandom. Fandom period, which correct. is in your, which yes, is a pretty yes. irrational thing. And I agree, it's a little funnier when there are mouse ears involved. But 
yes, to defend yes, the Disney, to are. defend the Disney adults on this. Pick a rational fandom. Can you name one? Like I root for the fucking Pittsburgh Pirates, man. I'm going to pay 140 bucks this year so I can watch their games from across the country. Rational? Don't do that. Okay, that's tough. That's I, yeah, tough. man. I, I'm just telling, look, like, you know. But are you going to go to a Pirates game with, like, a GoPro strapped to your head, like, that's live, that's, like, live broadcast? Like, I saw, do you have any live bloggers I saw? Like, people who are, like, half okay. apparatus yeah. on? Look, man, I, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win the Super Bowl one day, so we all have our fairy tales that we subscribe to. I cheer for teams that are totally rational and have never hurt me. Also, you walk out of Epcot with a real respect for Bobby Iger and the fellas doing those business decisions for Disney. They've got a good Speaking business. Of I'll tell football. you, they, they essentially print money at that place. I mean, it's like you walk Dude. out of there and you're 500 bucks later or whatever, and you just can't believe that that just happened. F- but, five, you know, 500? I was, I was maybe a thousand. I don't know. You got, a, you got three kids. More than that. I was talking about one day for like one or two people, but yeah. Uh, you fucking wish. I can tell you've been traumatized. All right, well, fun first 12 minutes. Love it. Uh, 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 yeah, financially assaulted. Big news in college sports this week that we will talk about, I don't know, somewhat quickly. Uh, Dartmouth men's basketball players had argued before the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, that they were employees entitled to vote on whether to form a union at Dartmouth. And on Monday... A regional director of the NLRB in Massachusetts agreed with them, ordered an election to organize with the SEIU. That is going to come at a TBD date. I am told that that's likely to be in the next two or three weeks. Uh, So this is very significant. I think where you should pump the brakes is that this thing at Dartmouth is not yet unprecedented. Northwestern football players about a decade ago got a very similar ruling from a regional office of the NLRB. And then we all got to learn about the federal bureaucracy a little bit and that the NLRB is this big, vast thing. And above that regional level, there's a whole other board, the actual board of five seats that gets to decide if a decision like that stands. Northwestern appealed and didn't exactly win, but essentially won because the board declined to get involved uh, and didn't rule, but said that the status quo would hold. Uh, Dartmouth has already appealed. They're going to try to do the same thing. That could take a year easily or more. Uh, It could easily stretch past the election. Uh, If the White House were to change hands in the election, then perhaps Trump would fire the general counsel of the NLRB, who we had on the show a few years ago who did a, a, I think, a pretty persuasive memo that is thought to carry a lot of sway with the NLRB uh, about her view that certain college athletes are employees. So this ain't a done deal. This stuff takes a long time. Uh, The NLRB just covers private sector employers as well. And obviously, most big athletic departments are at public schools. But it's also very significant. they are going to actually vote at Dartmouth. They're not going to impound the votes the way that they did at Northwestern. So we're going to learn if these players want to form a union. Uh, because this is a private Ivy League school playing in a league with other Ivy League schools, it seems like they are not going to be able to argue that you know giving employee status to players at one school would complicate things competitively with the rest of the league, which is something that they argued with Northwestern, that the NLRB decided with Northwestern because it was the only private school in the Big Ten. Uh, so it's pretty sweeping. Stephen Goffrey, 
Um, is this a good thing or is this uh, not, is that not possible to answer? Because the initial reaction is, oh, this is it. It's over. And you've already illustrated here. There's obviously a timeline at play with any level of bureaucracy or it's just going to inch along. But also, this has ripple effects that maybe even both sides haven't thought about or might impact the standing on both sides. Like this is, Alex, am I safe to assume that this is just one of those things that was going to fill the vacuum of the NCAA not doing its fundamental job all these years? And now you have an action taking place that may actually be combustible to all involved, even the players. I think it is possible that it's combustible. Um, I am, a, I think, generally supportive of athletes being recognized as employees and going into collective bargaining. But there are a few problems. I think I think one obvious problem that is going to manifest with this Dartmouth basketball team is that they've got international players whose visa statuses, if they are now employees but not students, are going to be thrown into some chaos. And it's not entirely clear that they will be able to stay in the country. Uh, the ruling by this regional director of the NLRB, which which could stand, uh, was very sweeping and seemed to make an argument that because it's not essential to you know the so-called employee test, if you're an employer or not, uh, whether or not your sport is profitable, then it seems like you know if Dartmouth basketball players are employees, then surely like under this standard, a whole lot of college athletes are employees. And so that's not just like SEC football players, but it could be the track team at a Sunbelt school. If you take this rationale that was laid out in this ruling. So it could be more sweeping than expected. Uh, You probably saw uh, ESPN reported about two weeks ago that private equity folks are starting to circle college sports. And, you know, like, I don't think it's unreasonable to think you know, if, a if all college athletes, ESPN. yeah, if, if all college athletes were deemed to be employees, right, as those sharks are getting ready to be dumped into the pool, like, are you going to have entire non-revenue sports teams like liquidated, basically, um, to improve the the bottom line of an athletic department if it's accountable to investors who are from that world, you know, rather right, than I, serving I, any kind of nonprofit mission? Right, but I thought private equity was, you know gonna help streamline and efficient uh, and make yeah, industries more what, efficient um you know I, I, espn com, espn.com told me that it's it it comes in and it basically just makes things better it definitely improved the media industry i mean <laughs> yeah totally no bones about it yeah yeah i think all of us safe to say the three of us probably do not have a ton of respect for uh the the way that private equity does business because uh it is the most extreme rational extension of efficiency, 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 and wring profit out of whatever you can without regard for the people involved in in creating that value in the first place. And I'll go. You could see. Oh, just, just to be clear, <laughs> that does on, have some on. parallels I, I just, with a certain. That does have some parallels with a certain sport. Just, just to be clear, this isn't because we're all jaded, you know, post two thousand media veterans we are that no doubt but we're also business owners and we understand efficiency we understand like this is because i can't look at anything that private equity has improved period it they operate with a chop shop mentality reducing something to its equity and then liquidating it or selling it off is 
not efficiency. That's just craven capitalism, which is if you want to operate that way, our country has proven that you'll probably have a place to do that. But you can't argue that it's actually going to improve a product fundamentally. When private equity gets involved in everything from restaurant chains to Dude, car hotels washes. to media. I, I was having a conversation car, with a guy yeah, who yeah, car washes. Literally Veterinarians. Yeah. Veterinarians. Yes. They're in everywhere. Yes. Book publishing. Oh, I'll give They're you everywhere. one. I, I, got, I got one. Um, the day that I found out about like whatever the latest upheaval was with Vox during the SI debacle, I had to switch the optometrists. The, I had to switch optometrists and go to a new optometrist because my the eye doctor I was seeing, she was a part of three doctors and the others had sold to a PE and they immediately like I started getting emails and text alerts and like, we want to sell you this stuff. And then I went in, tried to go in for an eye exam. They tried to sell me all this. I was like, this, this is ridiculous. I just I, I just need my contacts checked, you know, like once a year. It's like Alex it was being very diplomatic and I respect that. But the bottom line is like, I, I need to know what private equity does for the American consumer or the products that they peddle onto us that somehow has improved it. Where are my Republican listeners? I know you're out there. Where I would bring this back is that uh, that is a potential interplay with college athletes being employees, right? And with with the more explicit yes. operation of this thing as a business. And whether it <laughs> is, is this, via this case, whether it is via is a different NLRB case uh, involving USC football players and whether or not they are jointly employed by the Pac-12, soon to be RIP in the NCAA – uh, or whether it's via a different case that's actually in the court system, not the NLRB's framework called Johnson v. NCAA, uh, there are a number of efforts right now to get college athletes deemed employees rather than you know, student athletes or whatever term the NCAA might prefer. And I do think that it is very, very likely that in this case uh, or in one of these others, but I think even particularly in this case, I, I don't. I don't think that they're going to get stopped at the top of, of the NLRB for a few reasons, like Northwestern did a few years ago. Point is, it's coming that some big regulatory body or court is going to say that certain college athletes are employees and going to say it in, in a final form after appeals are exhausted. And at that point, uh, that's going to be a hard train to get back into the station unless the NCAA gets Congress to come in and say, you have an antitrust exemption. Uh, college athletes cannot be employees. Yada yada. And if 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 they're all that hasn't happened yet. It, let's just say they're all employees, or just in football. Like I know we're not supposed to build those kind of silos because that's not the reality of an athletic department. But if they all become employees, and private equity does eventually get the talons around this thing, I would open this up and maybe we we turn this into like a subscriber episode. I know we do have a couple business uh, profess- professorial business type people who teach. And I, I, the only thing I liked in business school before I flunked out was econ. I really liked econ. But if you look at the like efficiency standard, I think it is, of like Nick Saban's Alabama, for instance. I was thinking about this recently after this whole private equity thing. And shout out to Pete Thamel. There's no reason to dance around it. It was one of the most horrifically reported things I've ever seen. Alabama was is was the standard of success in this sport. It is not efficient at an economic level. Hiring a hundred analysts is not financially efficient. I think you skipped over the real bugaboo there with private equity. When you skipped over and assumed it would just be football as employees. 
because what oh, it would be everybody, it, yeah. Right. So here is the could be. Well, that's why I was going I, I was do, going with the analyst and coaches. Like like it's not someone would come in and trim that fat but, and go like, well, like but you're you talking about you're talking about football. I want to take you so so a lot of the existential ism, I guess, existential dread in a lot of um in a lot of administrations is that they don't know who's going to all be employees. Is it just going to be the football team or is it going right. to be everybody? And then when you talk rowing about everybody and, and, and yeah. you get to rowing soccer, beach volleyball, and you want to talk about inefficiencies, well. Well, those would just get cut, which like that's that's a future that I can project pretty easily, right? What what makes me laugh is that I think the people who would be bullied for private equity or at least ideologically or politically aligned with that kind of mentality, I don't think what I'm getting at is I don't think people who are fiscal conservatives who love college football have ever stopped and maybe they have maybe I'm wrong and because I talked to a lot of NIL guys and I've said this before I've said this to my to my co-host here I've said this to, when I speak at journalism schools if you don't have sources who are opposite you p- politically ideologically whatever then you're not a good reporter you, you need to you need to you really have to embrace the mindset of someone you fundamentally disagree with because it's just part of the job so I, I'm going to ask some of these people that I have in my Rolodex like it's not financially efficient to do what Nick Saban did or what Kirby Smart does. A P, like PE would come in and cut that. They PE literally come throw. In and say like, mo- I mean, we as we know, these schools yes! literally just throw money at it. Yes. The uh, well, Richard, right. you private this, equity you would the not. Dis- private equity wouldn't. You, you think know the it description cool. of the Alabama coaching. The, 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 and I don't know if Kalen DeBoer is going to do this, but I know Kirby will. There's a description of the room, which is there's a small table. The head coach sits. Position on field coaches sit around the table. Behind them are two to three versions of yourself yeah. who are analysts. And then in the corners of the square room are the um, GAs assigned to the analysts. Like that's how the room works. And it's really tight. It's just like shoving a lot of dudes and windbreakers in a high protein diet into a small room for 45 minutes. This is horrific. I've been in there. Like a PE is going to go in and go, like, oh, we don't need that. Fuck, why the fuck is Doug Marone here? Like they're just gonna go well, these, in and start cutting. college college football teams are corporations that are in many ways too strung out and spread out, right? Like recruiting yeah. recruiting is both sales and hospitality, especially when you talk about the on campus aspect of it. You've got a health and human performance wing, right? You've got a facilities wing, you've got it, you've got all these different things, and then you have obviously then you have the literal team at schemes. Um, and it's talent development and deployment. Uh, so, you know, you've got all these different things that comprise a college football organization, which is why if, and then this is something that I've said on the show time and time again, if you want to win championships, in my opinion, you have to get a coach that swings more on the CEO um, of the chart yes. versus yeah. scheme guy. Um, but I, I think, are, I think one revenue? of the last true scheme guys just decided he'd rather be in South Florida. Then in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, are wins the are wins the the revenue or is revenue the revenue? And that's the, depends the on what game you're playing. It it depends on what game you're playing. No, but but PE is going to come in and say revenue is revenue. But if you're if you're at Alabama, you are willing to throw money at a problem to solve, like Texas, for instance. 
All these guys run ruthlessly efficient businesses so they can become rich assholes so they can fund their college football program. So that they can throw dumb it's money rich. at college football. Sure. Yeah, that's what's that I guess that's the deep sort of irony here is that you can't run these things like PE because you've made all this revenue in American society specifically so you could have this surplus that you could donate to the school or you could, you know, have a ridiculous training center. Because Richard, the first thing that's gonna go is going to be all of that student support. So if you have, excuse me, making this number up, you have six people that are full-time who are dedicated to making sure the 140-odd players are academically eligible. The next thing that's going to go is your your training table is going to go. Your strength and conditioning is going to get limited. Remember we talked, yeah. was it last episode about the, the remember the NFL, the NFL model is different, right? Because yeah, but a lot you, yeah, of high contract but, players. But remember the difference there is those are professional athletes who can pay for their own private training. At a Richard, we're paying these kids. You're not paying millions of dollars. I know, no, I get it, I get it, but I can tell you, I, I can tell you where we're headed. And so I just don't know if any of this would ever work by the standards of the people who want it to work or want want to win the most, I should say. I want to uh, – uh, yes, but I think that it's still two issues. You know, like I, I kind of – if I conflated these two or if I led us into assuming that they're automatically hand-in-hand athletes becoming oh, employees not. Yeah, they're and not. like Florida State ushering in an era of the most rapacious capitalism possible into college football. Um, th- those two things don't automatically have to go hand in hand. It's just a worry that I have. Uh, I think the other worry that I have is that, uh, and, and like Richard, you and I did a pretty extensive bargaining process in our last jobs. Well, two jobs ago for you, I guess. Uh, whatever. Um, we 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 did, you Probably know, a long. We did a long union bargaining process, and uh, it was really hard and. Uh, we did that when we were in our mid twenties, and we had experienced coworkers who had, you know, a lot of industry familiarity. College sports is a hard organizing dynamic because the the workforce turns over every five minutes, and there's basically nobody who's been around for more than five or six, or I guess in this case nine years, but typically four Unless or five playing, years. Um, Unless you're playing so quarterback like, in the G five, baby. It is. So I think it is very possible, even likely, that. You know, if mass organizing comes to college sports, that the athletes kind of get rolled at the bargaining table. I think that that could happen. Uh, but I also think that's even that might be a lot better than the status quo. And uh, I have Alex, yet to Alex, come, I have yet wait, to find on, another Alex. system that seems like it would work better than the one that is proven to work to regulate labor versus management in the whole of the economy. Well, the system sucks. It's just the only one we have. Like it, it's never been great. And honestly, like most organized labor ends up corrupt or punished by the capitalist machine. Like that's not an opinion. That's just how it happens. Call me after ninety days. But I mean, Richard's going to get a lot better to, terms because he's in the SI union than if he weren't. Right, but he also won't have a job. So, like, like the, I'm not blaming late. I'm not blaming the the organized labor for the lack of employment. I'm just saying, like, the system blows ass. But to go back to one point on the rolling uh, sort of inexperience of the labor class here in college, surely they would have someone like, okay, when when we were all involved in the Vox Union, you guys were involved. I just signed things as a, like they y'all came to the older employees in the company and were just like, hey, can you sh- do this out of solidarity for us? Because then it'll show this, this, and this. Although I would point out that my two co-hosts are a large reason why I can I constantly tell Vox Media to like basically fuck off in different ways is because I'm guaranteed a severance. Um, and that happened because of the union, which is a good thing. But you guys had the Writers Guild 
you had the WGA East helping you. Like right. someone's going to come to the aid of 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 Correct. like a defensive tackle at Oklahoma to like surely someone would be there like negotiating their behalf, right? That is correct, uh, and I think that's actually going to be kind of a, a second day story about this. Is that there are different groups that are jockeying to be the one who organizes athletes. I actually have a bit of skepticism about all of them in different ways. Uh, Why? But. Because Stephen, in, in your cynicism, you're not always wrong. Uh, there are selfish actors in every entity, oh, in every okay, in every sector, uh, including including an organized labor. I mean, you know, there's you don't can, you don't get can a, I ask a dumb uh, question because you're a labor expert here. Could I ask a really stupid? Question I'm not, for a second? but go ahead. Well, I'm on, I mean, of the three of us, yeah. Would the the, the whew, okay? Where I'm going with this is a hypothetical. And I know how this is going to look visually. Could the, like, you want a labor, you, you, you want to have someone negotiate with some experience in the field. Like, we use the Writers Guild, for instance, because it, like, kind of mirrored what we were doing. There's a WGA in Los Angeles, and I'm, I'm in that one, too, because of other work I do. But, like, yeah. would the NFLPA be a logical sort of extension here? Yeah, I don't think there's... College arm of the NFL because there are that's things what I'm getting like, at so, because yeah, what, like, th- there are unique things to college athletes uh, well excuse me there are unique things to athletics that have to happen right like the assuming walk with me here assuming the NCAA gets an antitrust exemption that allows them to cap salaries in some way shape or form okay pretend that's something okay. that is is uniquely um, that that sports labor unions are uniquely uh, uh, fit to operate within. You know what I'm saying? Like there are sports labor unions are uniquely able to uh, execute some of these massive group licensing deals. For instance, right? They're uniquely able to. Th- there are things that sports unions are able to do, are cut out to do, um, that the writers guild you know is is i don't want to say not cut out for it but i don't know if the writers guild is is the right organization for that i don't know i do think that there is i mean the teamsters are a great example of this like if you have organizing experience you can organize people in in a lot of different sectors like the teamsters are not just truck drivers right like there's name and occupation that the teamsters have not they're gonna throw greg sankey in an abandoned quarry somewhere (laughs) in jersey uh so there'd be a lot of people jockeying i think to do college athlete organizing if that time comes i mean they actually we don't even have to use hypotheticals it's the seiu the service employees international union who is doing the dartmouth drive and obviously dartmouth basketball players do not at first glance have a lot in common yes exactly uh at first glance the basketball players at Dartmouth have very little in common with the staff at a Chipotle. But if you can organize one group of people as, as an organization, I think you can organize another. Uh, and Richard's right, though, that there are, you know, there are certain skills and certain understandings of industries that would make some groups more equipped to help with college athletes than others. I don't think that's wrong either. But uh, there are a lot of possibilities. And also a lot of challenges because – uh, Godfrey, again, in your in your cynicism, you're not wrong about everything. Like, uh, a union is not going to fix every economic problem in college sports or in college football. 
the same way that our union at Vox did not solve every economic problem facing employees or help contractors who aren't eligible to join, who don't have the same rights to join unions under federal law. Um, that will be an interesting thing to follow in college football as well. Um, you know, how can well, how will schools you, try to you know, kind of put put different groups of, of college athletes perhaps right. against each other, depending on the sizes of bargaining units. So there's like this is going to be a whole world, man. Like where this is going, and it won't be perfect, but I do think it will be better than what we've got. And uh, the Dartmouth players could be the ones who who kind of push the domino that knocks everyone into that world. There, there's a I, I think there's a vast difference between like our our union experiences or people who are listening who are in like the UAW or you know various unions across across labor. Like I have a. a spectrum of opinions on like organized labor where it makes a total amount of sense to me that the UAW exists. It makes sense to me that unions exist for firefighters or teachers. Um, you know, we organized at Vox, which was a little bit like, Hey, uh, this plane has lost a wing and smoking and we're probably going to hit the ground at, you know, not probably hundred miles an hour, but we as a staff of this airplane have organized and we have reached terms <laughs> before we nosedive into the woods. So the difference between something like that, like a bad business is a bad business is a bad business, but college sports is supposed to exist in perpetuity. Right. But it's a bad business, but it's a bad business, which goes back to that PE thing where I'm like, you guys let these fucking wolves in the hen house. Like, I guess my gripe to connect the two, which I don't think was Alex's initial conceit in proposing this segment. But the thing that scares, I, I'll put it this way, and this is what I want to educate. Most of the people in my life that I come across are like relatives, in-laws, whatever. I think they're going to be faster to say, man, paying players is going to ruin college sports. No, private equity would fucking ruin college sports in a way that would be would render it unrecognizable. I have spent yeah. over 10 years of my career trying to tell you that kids are already on payroll. They're undervalued, underpaid. The whole thing is servitude, and it's really disgusting, especially when you consider the labor history of like minorities in the South. So for me, like just personally, I'm I'm going to explain to you and in, in hopefully in a quick and efficient way, like paying kids isn't going to change shit. But if you let private equity in, I, I understand why a lot of athletic department employees right now are probably tight assed because imagine trying to come up with like a four year strategy for an athletic department right now. Imagine if you were tasked yeah. with that. At a major athletic department right now. And that's where I get back to. That's where I get back to the base. We don't know the base question of who will be made to be employees or not. So it's the difference between potentially 100 odd, 150 odd employees or 600 odd. You know what I mean? That that even if you're fucking paying a minimum wage, like that's a lot of money. And that's where like every business has a financial planning, right? And you have to ask a handful of core questions that you know the answer to, even if you don't know your own economic forecast or like you don't know what sales are going to be in Q4 this year or maybe, right, like a COVID situation happens. You generally know your headcount and you generally know like how much you got to pay people or like, hey, we got 20 people, so we got 20 salaries, right? Like imagine, be, try, again, trying to develop some sort of strategic plan at the University of Florida or Ohio State or USC, right? So public, private, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then figure out, are you going to gain 500 employees under the age of 25? You're going to insure them? Like, I mean, it's a, this is a, it's a beast, dude. Good luck. By the way, you assholes brought it all on yourself. 
I think that's a great way to sum it up. At SplitZoneDuo.com, by the way, the home of Split Zone Duo's premium content on Substack. We've got a lot of goodies coming for you on an ongoing basis. A lot of stuff that we're very proud of. Just in the last month, Godfrey and Ryan Nanny released the Blindside commentary track, which runs the full length of that film. Godfrey, it was your first rewatch of that movie in, what, a very, very long time. I begrudgingly went. I yeah, I said this, but I got a copy of the script when it was in production by some people at Ole Miss, and then I went to the theater and sort of watched it the way that you would just. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but yes, I did see it in the theater, arms crossed, and then that was the first time since Ryan had never seen it before. Uh, you can cue. By the way, I, I'm not going to acknowledge who, because it's technically a copyright. No, no, it's a big one. Inside the SCD community, and this is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you where to look. I'm just going to tell you, it, like, I'm not even going to encourage you to look. Our depraved listeners have synced into a single file, if you will, the commentary track in the film. So this is it, like it's it's a, it's a decently sized file. So it, yeah, it's, I it's, imagine it's a chunky boy. It's it's on the dark web. It might not even be a copyright of, of, right S- now. of SCD's dark web. Um, a bunch of you lunatics have just mashed together Ryan and I's track with a like I think it's like a low lit like a low level of the the film's audio so you kind of have an idea. Um and I I don't know I think subtitles are involved. I don't know, but it, all that's together and yeah, that's that's a thing that may or may not be floating around the SCD internet right now. You sickos. Someone send that to me because I still have not I I have yet to watch the movie slash sync the contract C- contract. Uh <laughs> Uh, commentary track i honestly just just for all the things that you and i have talked about like in the world of college sports i i don't i kind of want to yeah i i kind of want to watch it we just watch the movie oh oh, oh, okay well i'll I'll put it this way you've worked with you and i have spent a lot of time together you'll watch the film and you'll you'll know when you'll hear me like in your own head um yeah yeah and then if you want to do the commentary track sometime that's great but like yeah yeah uh, I did a um, show on the Substack, splitsunder.com, last Friday about Auburn's new defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin. Uh, furthering our agenda, Alex. Congratulations. Welcome to the agenda, uh, I did, And then I spent a lot of the day uh, having very productive arguments with no, Auburn no, no. fans. Uh, no, about, no, 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 Alex. Uh, my, oh, my hey, agenda I was at Disney, to bash I was at Auburn. Disney World. I, got a, I was at Disney World, and I got a text from someone who shall not be named. And they're like, Alex is fighting in the Minchies. And so I was like in line for something. I pull it up. And here's the best part of the story. Alex is arguing about, by the way, the idea that Alex did this because DJ Jerkin is at Auburn absolutely betrays that if you believe I got that, receipts, you've bro. Never, you never once listened to the show, watched the show, or even consumed anything that Alex Kirshner's ever done. All right, number one. Number two, I pulled up the argument thread, and here's how I know you shouldn't have been doing it. I could only see yours. Because every other like it's counter muted, response mute account? was blocked, <laughs> was fucking blocked. Do you know what it takes for me to block you? Yo, I'm the guy who's going to tell you about how I'll bang your mom. Like I, I love to fight on Twitter in a crazy way, not in like a I'm going to seriously argue these points way. But like I'm waiting for you to say something where I can like drop a bofa in there. If I've blocked you, it's it's for like pretty serious violation of like decency. And every person that was arguing with you was blocked on my account. Uh, I do hope you'll listen, Alex. Uh, silly internet arguments aside, uh, the point that I wanted to draw out for people in this story about DJ Durkin and his time at my alma mater, the University of Maryland, is that it is not right, it is not correct to just kind of blithely say, this guy killed a kid and leave it at that. 
but it is also not right at all to take that as a defense of him and to excuse to not talk about to frame his career in a way that pretends it didn't happen his time at Maryland. And I hope that the show explains that if you get a chance to listen at splitzonedo.com. I want to say thank you to our partners at Homefield. You can use the promo code SZD20, that's SZD20, for 20% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. They are sort of in their basketball era this month, Duke and North Carolina collections, among others, in the past week or two. Very pretty colors. Uh, love, love the attention that they are paying to the triangle schools, the downtrodden that don't get covered often enough in college basketball. Uh, Homefield just does what they do at a very, very, very high level. And everything that they roll out on a regular basis is incredibly comfortable, incredibly attractive, and uh, pretty much all I wear. Yeah. Alex. So back to Epcot for a second. <laughs> yeah. We're like rounding the bend, right? I got three. The wife and I were managing. We're doing it. It's a lot. You got your lightning lane. You got your concerns. I, of course, have my just floating ADHD. So I'm constantly looking at crowds and surveying things. And I'm a tall person. And I see this poor, unsuspecting Disney. Well, he's an adult at Disney without a child. So he rounds the bin. He's got on a home field T-shirt. But he had on like a home field shirt, not a, not a school. He had on like a, one of these, like I guess from this line, this black and gold line. And I just... <laughs> Just imagine me walking around the corner in sunglasses and I just go like this, home field, like that to someone. And he just goes, ah, like, <laughs> and I just kept walking. So she, so if that guy happens to be listening, sorry, if you were, if you were at Epcot last weekend and I just, and you, a really tall person just literally pointed down like a cop and said, home field, that was me. There's actually uh, a friend of the show who, who I mentioned that I was at a bachelor party at Epcot last year. Yeah. The host of that bachelor party, the, the now groom had been at somewhere Disney, Florida, like a year before and sent me a picture with an SCD listener in the SCD Homefield green t-shirt at Disney. So we know we've got, I mean, we got kind of the SCD we mafia. We, we have people in the, in the kingdom, you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In yeah. the highest levels in the of it. In the highest levels. Yeah. Bob Iger himself sent me a picture one time Huge when I worked SCD at ESPN stand. and it splits onto a Homefield t-shirt. Yeah. Um, can, um, you ask I, him, can you ask him when Frozen 3 is coming out? Because some of us have like, situations all right um the the other other sponsor proud partner of the show nokian tires um it and this ties into a thing that me and alex are doing on the Substack this week we're doing a super bowl preview with friend of the show arif Hassan on uh, Substack later this week have y'all seen it's like raining raining in vegas and i hope everybody oh, driving really? around on the strip or a strip adjacent or 45 minutes out to the Chiefs Hotel in Lake Las, uh, Lake Las Vegas uh, is driving on their Nokian tires because you're going to. He's need not it kidding, by the way. Because it looks really bad. Dude. So, oh, like, when it rains in Vegas, I've seen that happen. One of my best friends lives in Vegas. He works in the horse racing industry. If there's like a half inch of rain, it's like the world shuts down because the roads aren't even designed to take water because it's a desert. Dude, in Southern California this week, it has been torrential and. You move here and they tell you it doesn't rain a lot. And that's mostly true. But I'll tell you, I felt a little misled, but thankful that I was driving around in my Nokia, on my Nokian tires, in my, on my, I think it's on my, uh, I got home oh, on Sunday, on. like five minutes before it started, like to get really, really, really bad. Like it had just started to rain on the drive. Uh, yeah. Stay safe out there. And uh, if you are using Nokian tires, then kudos to you for using tires that are going to give you like I say, the absolute best shot 
to make sure that your car handles this weather as well as it possibly can. Uh, it has Godfrey, been, what do y'all think? It has yeah, been wet. Go ahead. Godfrey, you are not going to be on the Super Bowl preview with me and Alex and Arif tomorrow. I, I need a, uh, no. I need a pick for Sunday. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to pick Kyle Shanahan. So let's go Chiefs. Oh, I got this. Oh, one second. <sighs> 49ers are up by two possessions. Let's just say they're up by ten oh, entering the fourth, right, and they lose right. by four. Please do. No, it Damn. what it already happened. Sure. It this has literally already happened. They were up in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. And Kyle Shanahan blew a lead in the Super Bowl. Sure. Yes. That no, that happened. I'm like, you keep saying like I'm making this shit no, up. No, I know you're not making it up. <laughs> I know you're not. I know Fuck you're that. not making it up. I like it's weird because we have a lot of friends. Like a reef is we we have a lot of smart NFL friends, and I know for like they, I know I'm being irrational, but I'm also not. Like I'll never forgive Kyle Shanahan. It is his fault. It's not Dan Quinn's. It's not Devontae Freeman's. It's not Matt Ryan's. It will always be Kyle Shanahan's fault. I don't care how smart he is. I don't care how much you like his plays. I will never let this go. Before say that. before um, we get into the more pressing uh, NFL coaching news or the more interesting NFL coaching news, um, Arthur Smith, Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator. Alex, how are we feeling? We did not luck, get baby. to this last week. It, it was late breaking news. It's probably fine. All like, it's probably fine. He was a good offensive coordinator before he was a bad head coach. We're coming from Matt Canada, like NFL Brian Ferentz. The bar is on the floor. It's it's probably fine. That's all I've got. Who's your Who's your number three tight end? <laughs> old boy's about. To, That's a great old question. Old boy's about to fucking eat. Great question. He's Darnell Washington's eat. number two. He, I mean, I want Darnell to get the ball. I mean, we saw what he could do in Athens. George Pickens, so we'll see. George Pickens is about to realize his full potential as a run blocker. He's he's going to go out there with like spike gauntlets and be run blocker. He will. He would do that quite well, to be honest. I know. He'll give right? you the business. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, like George Pickens is about to become a, a Steelers legend for just fist fighting on like ISO handoffs. Richard, Stephen, the last week or two have brought a lot of hand-wringing about the state of the coaching industry in college football and the difficulty that the sport has had in a few anecdotal instances, at least, of keeping up with NFL opportunities. Uh, Jeff Halfley just rolled out of Boston College to be the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh not just left Michigan for the NFL in what seemed like uh, kind of a, a quest for the Lombardi Trophy because he really wants to be in the NFL, but he took a lot of assistance with him, took the strength co- coach with him. Uh, just yesterday, I saw that Pitt's best assistant coach, Charlie Partridge, left to be a position, a position coach with the Indianapolis Colts, uh, and there are numerous others. I think Liam Cohen might be going back to the NFL, right, Richard? Um it's been a busy week or two for college coaches going back to the league. Uh, there's been a rumor flying around, and it is just a rumor as I talk about this, uh, about Chip Kelly maybe looking around, leaving UCLA for, for NFL OC jobs. Uh, point is that there has been, as a result of that, a lot of angst about what, if anything, college football should do about this and to what extent this kind of coach movement is normal or abnormal. Uh, one reflection I would say of kind of the developing conventional wisdom on this is Kirk Herbstreet on January 31st said that college football in its current state will be seeing more and more coaches heading to the NFL 
without boundaries and regulation that makes sense, coaches that get real opportunities in the NFL will be gone. This trend will continue until there is a new governing body and it creates a CBA with a player's entity or union that would include issues like NIL transfer portal and eventually revenue sharing. The sport is spiraling out of control, as we know, and many of these coaches are not sticking around and waiting. It's just a new reality for the sport. Stephen Godfrey, my question for you is, is there anything that college football could reasonably do or should reasonably do to stem this kind of movement? Do you think that um, they had this kind of conversation in the in a very different media landscape when Jimmy Johnson left Miami for the Cowboys? <laughs> I, I would say you, I, I know we didn't have this conversation when Nick Saban left LSU for the Dolphins. I would say this. Do you think that we had this conversation when Steve Spurrier went to the Redskins? I don't know. He's right in the first third. Then yes. he gets a little... <laughs> Correct. Then he gets off in the second Absolutely. third, and then the third third is, you know, whatever, I hand wave it uh, away. Um, I, I talked about this before on this show. When you talk to a, a college coach who has went gone to the NFL. It's like they're coming back from a day spa, man. They are <laughs> dropped a couple pounds. Skin's looking a little bit better. Lord knows their marriage is in a more healthy place. Relative. Relative in the coaching industry. Um, and they are yeah, I mean, a little case bit. Case by case. And they are a little bit just. The, the most instructive anecdote is the one I give. It's, it's I had coffee with a coach, and, and we were talking about the dichotomy, and he looks down at his phone sitting on the table, and he says, that hasn't rung in 30 minutes. Like, that's the difference. There's no recruiting. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no this and that. Like, you know, I was at but breakfast. But, so, a so what you're saying, it's always been that way. Well, what, hold on a second. It, I was at breakfast with a coach a couple months ago, and, like, he's got to take calls because he's trying to coordinate a transfer visit, and these parents that are trying to come in town, yada, yada, yada. In the NFL, the personnel department handles that the free agent visit and then he's just there to give his portion of the free agent pitch for instance so it, what i think is interesting about the current moment in time is the reasons to leave our quality of are a different quality of life reason than i think they used to be i think this is a reflection of the NIL, the this, that, and the third. Because the college game, and particularly the mandate of the college head coach, has shifted. But where I think it's different is it used to be, we used to talk about going to the NFL as all ball all the time as like a negative, right? As like a, if you go there, it's all ball all the time. And a lot of the times college coaches get up and can't hack it, right? Now we talk about yes. the all ball all the time as like a respite. You know what I mean? And 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 oh, a, they love it, yeah. That's what I mean. And and that's where I think the difference in how we talk about why these guys are leaving or how they how they talk about why they're leaving and how they talk about the experience of it at the higher level, I think has changed. Okay, three things real fast. One, the facts are inarguable here that it's a harder life right now to be a college head coach. But it, it's been that way for a very long time. I don't want anything I'm about to say to come off as in defense of the messy schedule 
the complete and total lack of regulation or order or oversight. We have devoted hours, hundreds of hours on this show to talking about the major problems that exist in college sports. But the reason why those problems exist is because the overseers of college sports decided to throw the reins down once amateurism was broken and no one has minded the shop since then. Now, I want to talk specifically about, I'll give you one anecdote. This is the best way I learned it because I, I, I always like to talk about what I don't know and because I want to learn with you guys. And I think that's the real role of media. Like I'm not an authority or an expert. When do you guys remember when Urban got in trouble for the grinding incident? This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I don't remember that. He's in a bar in Columbus, Ohio, after they had played on a weeknight against the Bengals. Against the Bengals. Okay. Okay. So you go up the road from Cincinnati to Columbus. I am, I professionally, I'm personally am a, my favorite sports team in the world is a terrible NFL team. So I know a lot about the NFL as a fan. But professionally, I've only ever worked in college and I don't want to work in the NFL. Um, I called someone in the NFL and I said, why I, the, the bigger issue when urban got in trouble was not the grinding. It was actually, unless you're Shelly, the, the issue was that he was not, he did not get on that plane to go back to Jacksonville. And, and then, I didn't quite understand that. And then lied professionally. To the yes. And lied to the play. That was another thing where I was. So here's what I'm getting at. I, I can name one, two, three sitting head coaches, two in the sec who have ditched the team flight or bus home after a game to go and interview or to go meet with a booster or to go, like I, I, there's one in my head specifically that I'm not at liberty to say that happened the season before last, where it's like, oh, he stuck around in town to talk to X because he could go to a nearby major city. The, the, like we talk about these things on the carousel episodes all the time. So when I asked the NFL source, I was like, hey, why is that a big deal? Like not the bumping and grinding and getting caught on video, but like what that he was in Columbus, he went to a steakhouse, and the answer was, you don't have to recruit, you don't do all those things, everything that Richard just said. So the expectation of the NFL is especially during the season. If you are a head coach, on-field coach, you are essentially in the laboratory at all times being a coach. And you that are watching really two things. film on the plane yes. ride home. It's all reconnaissance and planning and coaching. It's those three things. So like, like crushing film and figuring out the tiniest minutia of a thing. Believe it or not, and I can't believe I'm going to endorse this because of like I think Belichick is not a genius as much as others, but like the Halberstrom book, The Education of a Coach, has these really interesting chapters that that book was written a long time ago before Spygate on how Belichick learned to break down film to its absolute tiniest minutia down to like, we're going to build a game plan because I don't like the footwork of the safety, right? That's the NFL. And I mean, college and, doesn't and, exist and, like that. And you look for those edge wide, because if you take the example, the Jags were dog shit that season and almost won that game. They lost that game to the Bengals by three points. And the Bengals, I want to say, that was the year they went to the AFC Championship game. Yes. Like, it, yes. It, you know, it was so, a bad football team on the road on a short week who almost won despite gestures at how bad that team was. So looking at the, t- looking at the regulations and the many, many, many overseers guard guardrails that are in place in the NFL, you're constantly trying to get an edge, and the edge is going to exist Again, in reconnaissance, development, and coaching of like, all right, we're going to break all this. We're going to synthesize this information. We're going to turn it into a plan, and we're going to coach the shit out of these professional athletes. So that's what I learned. I was like, no, like he should have been using that time to do this. And that's the expectation of the NFL. I want to get to this in, in the most honest way possible. And so I'm not going to hedge around. And I'm, I, I swear to God, I'm trying to swear off media backbiting, but it just keeps happening. Um, this tweet, I looked it up. Look, Twitter's Twitter's self-reported statistics are dubious at best because elon's insane it's almost at a million views 
and it's also the lead reporter at ESPN, they're, they're Woj, and that's Pete Thamel. The reason why we're having this conversation, and this is the cascade effect that happens in the media that I'm going to be really honest about. Pete, instead of just breaking the transactional news, which is what Pete Thamel exists for at ESPN, he is their Woj. He's just like the other guys, the Schefters and the Ian Rappaports and stuff that, that do it in the NFL. He did a weird thing this time, and I'll explain to you why in a second. So he tweets on January 31st, hey, Halfley is expected to become the new defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Then there's two subsequent tweets that I've never seen Pete do. This is contextual to a transactional news because his entire existence at ESPN, he's tasked with being the person who breaks the news first so ESPN can own a news cycle. That's why they do these things. It's a business model, he, kids. Yes, it is an entire business model. And so all of the journalism and the off-season profiling that you see Pete do, it's in service of source dev. So it's just making sure that those agents and those high-ranking coaches call him with the information first because he basically puts out PR versions of journalism about them in a year-round cycle. So he's famous for doing this for the Urban Meyer tree, which is kind of where Halfley comes from because he went to Boston College from Ohio State as defensive coordinator. He puts these two contextual tweets out that suddenly become the narrative. And this is the shit that like burns me to my core where I, I have to stand up and say, this is not an honest representation of the news. This is agenda driving at its at the highest and most prominent place in the entire media cycle, which is ESPN, who basically owns college football. So Thamel says, Halfley's reasons for taking this coordinator job are rooted in both the overall state of college football and the opportunity to work for the one of the NFL's most respected franchises. The second one is the one that gets me because this is, I guarantee, I would bet my fucking mortgage this was a co this was a co-created quote that is completely dubious and it has absolutely no uh, journalistic credit. That's why you mean it wasn't. I'm not it wasn't just said. It, it wasn't correct. Yeah. It was manufactured. Yeah. And I've worked, look, I've worked in source quoting my entire career and I get the need. Uh, sometimes you have to tell a story that way. This was bullshit. This was PR. And I'll say it to Pete's face. Quote, he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. A source told ESPN, quote, college coaching has become fundraising NIL and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. End quote. Boys, Jeff Halfley was on the fucking hot seat entering this season at Boston College. Jeff Halfley is someone who has been the recipient of a lot of positive Pete Thamel coverage because of his association with his agency and the tree that he came off of. I've illustrated this before in the media. We've talked about Chris Lowe at ESPN. We've talked about his favoritism towards CAA and Jimmy Sexton clients. I catch a lot of shit for just saying the thing out loud when we do our media or I've said it on other radio shows or whenever I'm invited. This is not me trying to be mean. I'm not trying to create a feud or a fight. This is how the machine works, and this is why. I think it's important if you want to consume and appreciate college sports to understand how your sausage gets made. This narrative was an excuse because this is a bad time of year if you're a program like Boston it's College. January to go get 31st. a head coach. It's, it's January a terrible 31st. time of year. Right. Yes, this is a very it's bad time. It's a little time of favor year. out the door to Boston College's AD to be like, hey, I'm not leaving because this is a mess and you're going to fire it's not me. A, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a favor to. to Boston College so much, Alex, is that it's cover for Halfley for walking no, no, out no. on the job. Agreed. Agreed. I just mean in terms of I think that from from the reporter's perspective, I agree. I imagine that Halfley, it's like, oh, just trying to be nice on the way out as well. Like obviously covering what? his own ass, but also just like, hey, Boston College AD who now is gonna have to find a coach in February. Just want everyone to know it wasn't this guy's fault. There was nothing he could have done, even though everything you're saying is right. What is not Jeff Halfley's fault and what Jeff Halfley cannot control is that the Packers fired the defensive coordinator on January 24th. That, and I'm not no. even trying to give him cover no. there. That's just, no, that's just it. Like that's the thing. 
And so I don't it's I, I well, don't fault him for taking the job. Right, right. But and this is where I'm this is where I want to go with like or, or get at is like the this is a notion of Jeff Halfley did what is best for Jeff Halfley and presumably Jeff Halfley's family. And when Jeff Halfley does that, it is considered different than when Jeff Halfley's quarterback does that or Jeff Halfley's defensive tackle does that or Jeff Half. I'm sure you can find a Jeff Halfley quote about the transfer portal and commitment and along the exact lines that you think I'm getting at as far as well there's just there was a source quote just then about how hard it is to recruit your own players and so he goes and does the same thing that the sourced quote is is bemoaning the thing about that quote that horseshit quote could be applied to explain away any coach that were were to leave okay or to, like are those NIL is not a problem unless you don't have NIL <laughs> the transfer portal is not a problem if you are good at the transfer portal and good at keeping your team intact is it more work to do yes do we need legislative oversight absolutely are the rules either non-existent and or fucked yes Boston College was not succeeding because Jeff Halfley's Boston College was not up to the standards that Jeff Halfley promoted when he got hired by Boston College. He beat the posse out of town, and he used one of the top names in the media to explain away him doing for himself the best thing that he could as he didn't even, guys, he left because things are so bad in college football. He left because he got a a better job offer at a really inconvenient time for his current employer and full stop. And, 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 but it is a treatise and it is a, a, it, it is its own commentary. It is a commentary on the sport that the, he's not going to be the head coach of the Packers. He's going to be the defensive coordinator of the Packers. Okay. For, but, but this is where I'm going, going at this. There is to me and, and, and how I've been thinking about it. There is a modicum of privilege here involved in being able to go from a, we can laugh about P2G8 and we can laugh about Boston College and all that sort of stuff. It's a top 50, 60, I mean, you know what I mean. Head it's a coaching top 65 job to 70 job in the country. Sure. Okay. All right. We yes. can agree. BC? Yes, we can agree. And so, but, but yeah, what I, but, yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay. But sideline that for a second, because the, the real point is that there's a line of, of talented coaches out the door that would take, want to take that job. Fran Brown just left the cornerbacks coach job at Georgia to take the Syracuse job, which is the same six half dozen as Boston College. Like, it's, it's okay. The fact that Jeff Halfley is leaving is its own commentary, and I understand that. And I, I, I just paid it credence for 15 minutes on the show that I co-host, but there's another, there's another conversation that needs to be had too, which is the talent pipeline of coaching in this sport. It's going to be okay. Like it it, maybe, maybe they hire, maybe, maybe they hire some guy who goes three and nine next year, but Hey, guess what? Jeff Halfley's a pretty good football coach. And he just went three and nine at Boston college two years ago. It, th- there is a pipeline of coaches involved that need to be surfaced at, 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 in kind of the both and conversation of guys leaving to the NFL. 
If you want to go to the NFL, go. There are guys in college who are ready, willing, and able to take the bull by the horns in this job and take them and run with them. And maybe Boston College's next head coach goes three and nine for three years and they suck and they never figure it out. But that's a Boston College conversation more than it is a that specific coach conversation more than likely. I talked to a coach a couple of weeks ago, uh, a coordinator right now, who I believe I believe his exact words to me were, surely I could get a shot at Buffalo or San Jose State. And he wasn't being sarcastic. Like People want to be head coaches. And I, I sometimes forget about how badly they want to be head coaches. And, uh, and then somebody tells you they want to be the head coach at San Jose State. Right. And it's like, and then they're like, yeah, I want Buffalo or I want, or I want San Jose State. And, uh, I, and you, okay. and that drives home the idea. Uh, I have heard, I have heard coaches, I'm wondering if this might have been the same coach. Anyway, I don't remember. So I'm, I'm, I've heard a coach. It might have been the same one. I might be mixing conversations. I've had coaches express to me that they would like the Yukon job, that they would like to look at Hawaii. I've heard both <laughs> of those things as well. So, like, if you well, haven't been like one and, Hawaii, you, for honest. and yeah. you want to be one, uh, you'll crawl on glass to be one. But I agree with everything that both of you have just said. It just it doesn't necessarily change the stance here that all this guy did was actually just skip one chapter. And the chapter was next year he goes four and eight. He gets fired by Boston College. And then in that cycle, he becomes defensive coordinator for the Packers or something thereof. Let's just say like. All, all we all we did was pinch together two tiny, very closely connected points of a timeline. Just it's like a, like we just squeezed it together. I'm fine with that. The man, the man, literally looked around and said, "I'm not going to be able to do. I'm, I have promised something I can't deliver here at Boston College. NIL portal, etc. Whatever it is, he he only he knows the answer to. He, he looked around and said, "This isn't going to work for me. Like I'm not going to get the Eagles to a place that isn't just basically a Dazio six and six, seven, you know." Floating in that range. By the way, the ACC is in complete and total tumult, which is partially ESPN's fault, if not totally. So um, rather than just say all these things and say, hey, I'm a better. By the way, like I I talked to several people when this happened and in the industry, they're like, that guy's just fit to be an NFL coordinator. He's just not a college head coach. That's it. You're just that's the type of coach you are. There are truly brilliant minds that never do anything other than coordinate the NFL. And they are smart as shit and know more ball than most head coaches. Maybe that's just what that guy's destined to be. I'm fine with all this. I'm fine with him taking the job. Where I take umbrage is when you manipulate narrative to not tell, to obfuscate the truth and just not say the thing, which is what I, if he'd have just come out and said, this isn't working out for me, this is a better fit. I wish Boston College the best. He got a national reporter to fucking do his laundry and blame it on the state of college football. That is chicken shit. And that is why it makes it really hard for people to trust ESPN.com or someone who has an obvious affiliation with a coaching tree. One uh, general thought that I have about this before I ask you questions, uh, a couple of questions about specific coaching job comparisons that seem to be coming up here. Uh, when Mark Richt went to the lake or wherever he went, in the mid 2000s when he's George's head coach how long would his phone go without ringing for those couple days a year like i doubt he got a full day right like and now in sure, kirby's yeah. case in kirby's case he might get a little bit less time 
like maybe maybe Kirby gets a call every 45 minutes instead of every two hours when he's on vacation. But I don't think that the, like there's no system that college football has ever had or could ever have that would close the gap in number of things you have to manage between college and the NFL. It'll never happen. Steve, like, yeah, even even like the cleanest the system that they could right sign. now. Guys, Steve That's Spurrier, the coach's fault. Steve Spurrier, who is sure. a coach who notably golfed his ass off and would make fun of his contemporaries for how much they worked, quit during the middle of a season. Yes. Because of this, whatever this was in, what was that, 2012 when he quit? Whatever, thereabouts. Yeah, a little later. A little, a little later, later, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like, and it's, it, but he's, but Richard, he said that, right? I give, I give OBC all the credit in the world where he's like, Hey, this shit's changed. And like, <laughs> th- th- this is in in a very OBC way. I don't, I mean, he, he acknowledged how incongruent it was with the life he wanted to live and God bless him for it. Again, if, if Halfley had just said that, I'd be like, dude, roll tide, man, go to the Packers. This sounds like a plum gig. Like certainly you got a loving fan base and like, it, it all makes sense. I get it. I get it. But like, this nonsense about blaming the state of affairs like yes alex real fast like mark rick's phone never stopped ringing or you know uh kirby's phone whenever if kirby and ryan day and you know lincoln and whoever all decided hey we want this thing to slow down they could get it to slow down these are the rules this is the same argument at the top of the show you guys brought this on yourself you guys are the ones who want to compete in this environment, and you guys are the ones. No one has more power, true or false, Alex, ultimately or influence than a, than than a successful college head coach in in college athletics, right? I agree. Well, they could easily influence a change or or some sort of moderation, yeah. or temperance of yeah of this insane schedule, but they don't. Well, here's the thing: uh, they don't. What did Kirby say about Dan Mullen? Like he, the, Dan took some swipe on one of his TV shows this year at ESPN, and he, he like, said Kirby Dan didn't like, like oh, to recruit. That's right. He's like Dan. Dan ain't here because Dan can't fucking grind. Which is the and, sequel. And, which, which is the sequel of true. Tiff. The year Dan got fired. It's also true. Like Dan. Dan couldn't fucking. Dan couldn't hold it. But if but it, and the funny thing is, if Dan turned up as the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator tomorrow, your ass would be jumping for joy. Probably, you, but yeah, you know what I probably. mean. You know what I'm getting at. You know, yeah, what I'm getting at. yeah, yeah. yeah. He no, can no, call that's, plays. On, Nobody kept, says he I can't kept call saying plays. this that he should have been a quarterbacks coach, and people were like, "Oh, he's that, that's your anti Mississippi State." But I'm like, no, the, the dude is a really good developer of quarterback talent and a very smart offensive mind. He should have been a QB's coach, like to help somebody. You guys remember this this was actually no, this was actually a very funny uh foretelling of what would happen with Dan Mullen's career. Remember it was early 2020 when Florida was playing pretty well, but it was the COVID year. And Dan Mullen basically made a public plea to DeSantis or or whatever authority it was to let them pack the swamp for some game at a time like before the vaccines. When I I really think that most right thinking people were like you shouldn't. It was do Missouri, that. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, they had just I, whatever I it was. Think they had just played A and M or something, and he was like the crowd noise at A and M or something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he got mad. Uh, free Scott Scott I think it was for the Missouri game, but didn't they lose it? Free call pits. Yes, they uh, they lost it, and then there was the fight. That there was the fight, and then there was the Darth Vader right. thing, and then there was the. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Then Scott <laughs> Strickland, the athletic director at Florida is doing some damage control 
And he says, and this is just part of the quote, but it's quote, Dan is really good at calling ball plays. Yep. You know, <laughs> like that, that didn't just apply. turned out that didn't just apply to crowd management and the pandemic also applied to his interest in recruiting. Uh, two Man. more, two questions for you guys uh, that are related to this discussion. Boston College, like the job itself, seems to be considered to be better than being a coordinator at Ohio State because Jeff Halfley made that move. And Bill O'Brien is, as we record this on Tuesday lunchtime, uh, Eastern yeah. time on February 6th. I, I'm just, I'm, let me finish saying. No, I know. Clearly, it's- just this is going to get stale. Uh, it is, we'll see if he gets the job. Uh, I am reasonably persuaded that he wants the job by the volume of reporting that is out there, though I don't know for sure. That's that's an I feel, uh, not yeah, an but I know. Th- what, what like, you're is, talking is Ohio about, State, can I ask a question? Quest- the question that you're posing is not, it doesn't apply to everybody. Because for Jeff Halfley, the BC head coaching job was a better job than the Ohio State defensive coordinator job for different reasons than for Bill O'Brien is the BC head coaching job better than the Ohio State offensive coordinator job. It's, it's just, it's a different kettle of fish. And they are, in my opinion, completely predicated on the person. The person, Jeff Halfley, four years ago, was a rising star head coach in the industry. The person, Bill O'Brien, is a guy who, in, in my opinion, like, he's the kind of guy that, like, once you're a head coach, the way he's been a head coach, you kind of got to be a head coach. Like, it kind of sucks to not. Yeah. This guy was the head coach of Penn State, understandably when it when he was the head coach but let's go with the head coach of penn state a job of which there are not 15 more than 15 better in the sport and then he was the head coach slash general manager of a professional football team the, everything is a backslide for that guy that is not an offensive coordinator job or excuse me that is not a head coaching job so, Ironically, he got his he got he got wrung out, done up, fucking torched. They're killing you in the QRTs, bro, for leaving Penn State. If you remember that, absolutely just destroyed for leaving Penn State. Why but, would anyone want to leave Happy Valley? Dog, you want to talk about a, a Wikipedia page? My man has a Wikipedia page. It is just quite fascinating. And he the, got uh, and that was he. He was another recipient of just like a force feeding from the agency place sourcing stuff. Like, I don't know. Like we talked about this on the previous cycles back when we were on Patreon, those, those subscriber shows, which are still in our archive. When Georgia tech was trying, was debating taking the um, interim off key. The the job that, the job that, or sorry, the person that was going to, that was going to get that job was Willie Fritz. We, I mean like that story has been told. And Willie decided to stay at Tulane. I think it's worked out for Willie. I think he's in a great opportunity. And I think there's a lot of advantages to Houston. Not, I'm not saying one job's better than the other. I'm just saying for that person. But while Willie Fritz sort of felt like the front runner, I think was the front runner, at least according to like the Georgia Tech people, Bill O'Brien was being force-fed to Georgia Tech. Force-fed to Georgia Tech by his agents like, and, and by agent-friendly media. And so... I don't know if it's necessarily the same thing that's happening right now, but Alex has a point of like, you can't escape 
it's the old like this is an old papn joke but it still rings true because this guy's name was also mentioned for bc it's like when troy calhoun like troy calhoun was like there used to be a papn joke years ago troy calhoun's interested in the job that was the full <laughs> joke and we, and richard and i actually the first time we met one of his agents they were like we think it's funny um where like if a job came open and that person knows who he is um if the job came open it was like yeah and troy calhoun troy calhoun was like if there were nine coaches the ninth was always listed at interest, like oh could fit at this job was troy calhoun and so bob has kind of become that but i think it's for ri- the reasons that richard's stating which is like he wasn't gonna fucking be belichick's successor for the patriots like this is as good as he can get right now, and he wants to be a head coach. And so, okay, it is a there's some symmetry, Alex. I definitely get that, but there's also, I think, per the coaches, like like it's their own timeline. I think that's what it is, and he he probably can't abide. Also, hey, maybe this is a referendum on Ohio State and Ryan Day, but we can talk about that until. All right, one more trip to Rumorville, and then I'm just going to ask this, and I'm going to get out of the way, and you guys can take the the rest of the episode from here. Uh. You guys have both said in the last few months variations of on different shows that UCLA is pretty good. UCLA is fine. UCLA is well positioned to go into the Big Ten. We said uh, they're fine. At the end of last regular season, some forces around UCLA uh, were spreading reporting rumor that Chip was going to get fired from that job. Uh, and in the last week, some forces around Chip or UCLA, probably Chip, I would guess, but I don't know. Nope. Uh, have UCLA. have around UCLA interesting have spread the idea that uh, Chip might leave UCLA and go make a, a Halfley move and go be a coordinator in the NFL. Uh, whether either of whether either of those things was ever true or not, I don't know. But I do know that two rumor cycles in three or four months about your coach no longer being your coach doesn't sound very stable. I know that Dante Moore left. I know that they're going to lose a lot of games probably in the Big Ten next year. Uh, are you guys holding to the belief that they are fine? Because I think they might not be fine. I think they couple, are like in, okay, go ahead. couple things here. Um, the Dante more of it all, see ya. That's a developmental player who was not what he was built to be when he came, okay. in, when he came on campus. So, okay, box that up, throw it away. Um, like I reported on this at the end of the season, there were forces in the UCLA ecosystem who were trying to get Chip Kelly out of that job. UCLA's administrative administration was behind him at the time, as I reported in late November, early December. And that's why I don't trust the Chip NFL things as far as I can throw it. Because it, when you link the two things, it's it's not the chip ecosystem as much as it is now where it could certainly be the chip ecosystem is seeing the writing on the wall of the last 10 weeks and saying right. you know my my in 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 a, in a not exactly the same thing as Jeff Halfley but like a my time may be up here because yeah. of the last 10 weeks you know what i'm saying um, yep. that sure merit to it. I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand, but no, I, 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 now the question of, do I think UCLA is in a good spot, um, to enter into the pac 12? I think so. Big time. I think they're, yeah. you know, Alex, did, did you, did you say that about like, they're going to lose? Did, did you look at that schedule? 
I I did look at it. I played the schedule game. I did. Oh, you did. Okay. What, what are uh, we in doing? In their first five weeks, they what have. What are we doing here, guys? Do I need to first, holler? Uh, so in their first five weeks of the season, sorry, four weeks of the season, they go Indiana at home, at LSU, Oregon at the Rose Bowl, at Penn State. Uh, what? They're going to be one and three after those games. Also, and their last more? regular season, their their last regular season game yeah. of the year is at home versus Fresno, which is not like necessarily a penciled in win. Wait, they lost, that, they lost that exact game like two years ago. Yeah, a couple. Dude, things. I'm just uh, yeah, a, a couple things. I'm gonna have to scream about this apparently every for the entire off season. If you are in the Big Ten or you are in the SEC, congrats. Your schedule is now hard. I don't yeah. care who you are. You play somebody. So yes, well, they're burning off the LSU contract, Richard. Sh- this sure, was- yes. But what I'm saying is, like, y- y- this I do not subscribe to the schedule game for Big Ten and SEC teams moving forward because everybody's schedule is hard. Congrats. So for me, okay. How yeah, do but- we, so? How do we know? You still L- don't need to have Fresno and LSU on there, right? But how do we know LSU is going to be worth the shit? That's the, the thing when you talk oh about boy. the schedule games. How do you know LSU? Th- how do you know that this LSU team that they're going to play is going to be worth the shit to where they can't beat them? Like, this is where I talk about, th- like, you want to play a schedule game? Okay. You look at the helmets and you think one thing, and then we get to October and it certainly will be a different thing. And then, like, it, I mean, LSU is going to be a double digit point favorite in that game. They are. I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost certain. Okay. Sorry, I, I don't. But sorry, well, what are we doing? I was buttoning a princess dress. Um, <laughs> All right. Point is, even, point is, so Richard, Richard, you are not backing off your thought that UCLA seems fine, right? But now. they're not going to win just, the Big Ten. No, of course like, not. But no, like, but they, yeah. But like, I, well, they'll I, keep I, making I bowls for a few years. Here. That's that's kind of what I take I, what I take fine to mean in the case of UCLA is that they'll keep I, making I bowls for a few years, few eight win years. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm sort of stuck in the middle here because I'm going to be honest. I don't know if they were to move on or if the forces that wanted them gone, if they if they got that, they'd know what to do with it. Um, I think, and I think that's kind of the conceit of what Richard's getting at is is like be, it, it's another one of those "be careful what you wish for" things. Um, I also need to understand these California or sorry these West Coast teams in the Big Ten for maybe a season or two before I figure out this is your worth or this is sort of like your area above replacement. Um, I do defend the fact, like, Richard, this is even, I get it. I understand where you're going with, like, you're in the SEC of the Big Ten. You have a hard schedule. This is unnaturally shitty. And I know you're burning off the, these are contracts you signed well before you do. You would be in this situation. Like, you did not know when you signed a one-and-one with LSU that you were going to have to go to Baton Rouge before hosting Oregon and going to Penn State. That's a lot of time zones in three weeks. Like, that's, like, that sucks. It, it 100% sucks. Um, all that being said, I think to Alex, yes, Alex, you, you are correct in that there should at least be, how about it? We just raise an eyebrow. I don't think that Rome is burning. I think obviously chip may not have all the people in his back pocket that he might need in terms of support at UCLA. I think at this point you should, if if you are a Bruins fan and you're like, this is good, fuck him, like run him off. Like, bro, be careful. Like, I don't know if you noticed the store is not full right now. Like you, you might not like the inventory or the aisle that you're shopping from to replace him in the second week of February. 
So everyone, I think everyone just be cool for a year at UCLA. You guys be cool. I've been to your yeah. campus. Brentwood's very nice. Like just fucking chill out for a second. Steven, what this sounds like to me is reporting trip for you, maybe to a couple of UCLA home games next year. I do love the Rose Bowl. 